This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, to Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah. He's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 101 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian D. Felice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And even though it's the dog days of summer, guys, there's plenty of Bruins talk to go around. You got the uh, the NHL draft just happened. We've got free agency tomorrow. They hired Jim Montgomery as a new head coach, and there was a press conference with all of ownership. So there's a lot to dive into. Um, I guess I'll throw it to you, Bridget, and you can uh, take it away. Yeah, so these are some of the things that we were wanting to talk about uh, throughout the show. Uh, so first of all, I think something that's been important to a lot of Bruins fans is can we just can we put the Bergeron question to rest and you know is Krejci a done deal so an update on those two players and where their negotiations are uh Montgomery and a few answers we got from the introductory press conference with him on what Neely and Sweeney saw as to why they hired him what uh stuck out about him and how in his coaching style as an op- always having an open line of communication to players. So seeming to kind of talk about him being a player's coach more so than Bruce Cassidy was um, free agency, which is coming up in a few hours because uh, we're recording this on Tuesday and Scott has been at rookie development camp uh, since it started. So he's going to give us a little update on rookie development camp and some of the draft picks uh the Bruins have that are there as well yeah what do we want to start with let's go let's go Bergeron Krejci because I feel like that's that's the biggest thing and uh you know if if by the time you listen to this they've already we already have an answer then you, you can fast forward a little bit but um as we're recording here Tuesday afternoon they're uh all signs point to both Bergeron Krejci being back, um, you know, Joe McDonald had the report about Bergeron a couple of weeks ago at this point, but still nothing official. Everyone in Bruins management and in the, in the front office is, 
you know, they're stepping around it, but they all say positive updates. You know, we've gotten some encouraging news. Like, you can tell they want to announce it, but obviously it's not official yet, and they're going to let Bergeron announce his return, you know, himself. Um, on Krejci, uh, he was in Boston. He's been in Boston for the past week. He was spotted at the Red Sox-Yankees game on, I think that was Sunday. Uh, and our own WI's Lou Maloney reported on Monday that, according to uh, a source of his, uh, Krejci is currently in negotiations with the Bruins uh, about a return. And that was later in the day confirmed by ESPN's Kevin Weeks. So it certainly looks like everything is moving and in that direction. It was actually, Lou was actually one of the people who reported in the very beginning when the news broke that Krejci wasn't returning to the team last offseason. And that turned out to be correct. And I assume this, we're talking about the same source for Lou this time. So I, I consider that to be um, pretty accurate information. Um and also, like you mentioned, we've had multiple reporters check in with our sources and uh, also something that took, I think the, re- the actual quote of what Lou tweeted was that he's in negotiations to return to the Bruins, not in negotiations like about returning, which to me means like that he's leaning that way. Um, it's about like we're at the point where it's about a contract rather than just whether or not he wants to come back. Like we're at the point where he's talking about what it would take like money wise. Um, and Don Sweeney in the press conference as well talked about how the Bruins don't have a lot of cap space to work with, but that he's trying everything he can to make sure there's cap space for both Krejci and Bergeron to come back. Yeah. So as of this hour, nothing official. Um, Krejci, I don't believe can become official until free agency begins at noon. So that could be one of those things where like 1201 or 1202, you see that, you know, come across. Uh, Bergeron can announce his decision at, at any time. Um, but yeah, it it certainly looks like that's where it's going. And to your point, Bridget, like now it's about the finances and what are these guys going to sign for? Because if they take 5 million a year each, that's still team friendly. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind either one of them could get more than that in the open market, like easily. So that would be team friendly enough, but the Bruins currently only have two point, almost $2.4 million in cap space. You know, obviously like an ideal scenario is like they each take $1 million and they're like, we're thrilled just to come back for a year. Well, and, that's what Tuka did. Right. Exactly. And that's what Chara did towards the end. Like he, he only took, one or one and a half or something like his last year here. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen. I, I feel like they're both going to probably be aiming a little bit higher than that, but we'll see, you know, that that still needs to come in. And one thing that's also worth noting here is teams are allowed to go 10% above the salary cap during the off season. You just have to be cap compliant by opening night. So the reason I bring that up is like that at least buys the Bruins time to figure out, okay, how are they freeing up the money they need to free up? Um, You know, that gives them the rest of the summer to work out trades or whatever it is that they have to do to get under the, to get under the cap. Um, It's not like they need to, you know, say they sign both guys for $4 million each. 
okay, well, they then they need to clear out $6 million. They don't need to do that first. They can sign those guys and then still work to free up the $6 million they would need to free up. Yeah, and quickly, before we let you jump in, Brian, because you haven't said anything yet, um, uh, the, the latest from the press conference was that uh, Sweeney had – uh, Sweeney himself said that he had numerous conversations uh, with Krejci, which obviously um, Krejci would not entertain numerous conversations if he didn't think they could seriously get a deal done. So that's all the signs so far. Uh, like we said, we're not going to know probably till tomorrow uh, in the next 24 hours, probably um, for sure, whether or not Krejci will be returning, but I don't see why he would spend time in numerous negotiations if he wasn't serious about it. So I think that is um, pretty much in my mind, Bergeron and Krejci, I think we can consider a done deal, even though we don't know what the contracts are going to be yet. Yeah. And I, I don't know how much the money will play a factor for a guy like Krejci. In fact, he may have some guilt for leaving the team high and dry last year, maybe come back a little cheaper, but. You think uh, Pasta you guys- gave him a guilt trip? <laughs> maybe. Are you guys surprised that they weren't able to move a couple of uh, lower roster players and shed some salary at the draft? Um, not super surprised. Cause I think that can still happen. Uh, that would have obviously been, you know, kind of a natural place to do it where you trade someone for a third or fourth round pick or something like that. But you can still get that done. Now it could still be a draft pick for next year or, you know, uh, some sort of prospect like there's still, there's still ways to make that happen. It's, I just think the draft, it, it seems like everything, like there were clearly some trades that were negotiated ahead of time, like the real big blockbusters. But once you get into that second day of the draft, like everything is moving so fast that it's like, it's honestly hard for teams to get stuff done because I mean, like they were flying, they're doing like around like every 40 minutes. It was, it was like almost like a pick a minute pace. So I'm not super surprised like they didn't get something done because it almost would have had to have been agreed to beforehand. So, and you know, a lot of teams might want to see how free agency starts to break before, you know, they might look and say, well, okay. Yeah. I guess I could trade for Craig Smith or an Eric Halla, but why don't I see what's available in free agency? And then, you know, if I can't find, if I can't sign a third liner, I want, maybe I circle back with the Bruins, like something like that. So, I'm not super surprised because I don't think um, I don't think teams are doing a ton of depth roster building yet. I think the the big moves got done. You know the your Alex DeBrinke like blockbuster type stuff. I think teams could plan for ahead of time, but so, some depth stuff that tends to be you know third or fourth on the list. And I think teams are just getting there this week. Yeah, the Bruins were very quiet. On draft night, they're quiet in the draft. They, I mean, obviously didn't have a first round pick. So we didn't have like a special episode dedicated to the draft just because um, it was going to be a quieter draft from the beginning since they traded that first round pick for Hampus Lindholm at the deadline. So we already knew that some of the guys they were going to get were, were going to be works in progresses um, for a while. Uh, and we can get into them a little bit later and probably will during the season when inevitably the Bruins have injuries and we're talking about, Hey, who can come up where who's in the system. Um, but I also expect that, and Sweeney uh, acknowledged it as well. It's going to be a quiet free agency period for the Bruins. Most likely um, at least 
he said it would be quieter than last off season. Um, when it starts, because if, if it works out, they have two centers, they have a number one and number two center, which that's where the need was. And I mean, we can argue and or not argue probably will agree that, uh, you still need another center, but, I uh, he mostly got into conversations about adding depth, um, and was not, he said he would entertain bigger trades, but he didn't sound like that was really something that he had anything significant in the works for. So, uh, this off season, not expecting any blockbusters from the Bruins, just, um, depth moves. But what's interesting though, is that, you know, a few weeks ago, it was possible that the Bruins were going to enter the year without Bergeron or Krejci. They could have had no two number one centers. And so in a weird way, they don't really, if these two come back and then you have your third center of Coyle and Hall is still there or whatever, like, you know, you, center's no longer an issue for this particular season, which we couldn't say um, as recent as our last episode. So it, it just, it's amazing that if Krejci and Bergeron come back and presumably for short money, um, you know, and, and like, I believe, I do believe like a Fabian Lysel will eventually this year at some point be a part of the offense too. On paper, despite all of the drama this offseason, the Bruins are going to enter the season with a few injuries, but their roster on paper will be better than what it was last year, which is kind of amazing when, when you consider how doom and gloom it's, it's all seen because we're, we're so forward thinking and we're, we like to project with this team more than one year at a time. But if you look at the season only next season, if Bergeron and Krejci resign, then the Bruins are on paper better than they were last year. By the way, guys, I can't help but like if Krejci comes back, first of all, that's huge. And um, I'm incredibly excited about that. He was one of my original favorite players. I mean, I'll tip my hand a little bit. I get into arguments with people about David Krejci all the time because for some reason he's been like a flashpoint player. Like people will come up to me and try to explain to me why they don't want David Krejci back. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? Like he, I, I, I get into arguments with them, especially now considering, would you rather have David Krejci as your second line center or Eric Halla or, and there's not really anyone you can go get with the money you have in free agency. That's going to be equivalent to David Krejci. So I've been always, including some of our coworkers, getting into arguments about Krejci. And I guess hopefully this season I'll be doing that again. But uh, it just makes me like angry in hindsight that he didn't just decide to stay last season. Because can you imagine what their roster would have looked like last season and how the season could have turned out if he had stayed? Yeah, I mean, it, it could have made obviously a ton of difference. Like, chances are if he returns last year, you're you can at least eliminate one of those forwards they'd sign and maybe two, you know? So it might be almost certainly they don't sign Eric Halla and they maybe don't sign Felino. Uh, um, I think they're, they're better, obviously if they've Krejci instead of those guys, but uh, you know, as far as this year goes, yeah, Brian's right. Like they, they, they're a better team than last season. Maybe not right off the bat because of the injuries, but tread water, keep, you know, just survive until, McAvoy, Marshan, to a lesser extent, Grizzly, all return. And then, like, you should still be a playoff team. Like, that fighting for a playoff spot really shouldn't be an issue. You're still clearly one of the eight best teams in the East um, with that roster. And, you know, like, I, I've heard the same things as Bridget, which is like, you tune in, it's like, 
well, they should be trying to get younger than Bergeron and Krejci. And it's like, well, yeah, sure, but that's not happening this offseason. Like, they don't have that that prospect ready to go, and they're not going out and trading for it or signing that guy. Like, who? if you're going to say that, like, who is available? Because I look at it, it's like, okay, Nazem Kadri, who's probably going to get a seven-year deal worth at least $8 million a year. That locks him up until he's 39. You want to do that? Okay, have fun. Evgeny Malkin turned down three years by $6 million from the Penguins, according to reports. He wants a fourth year. That takes him to 40 years old. Evgeny Malkin, who has met over the last three years, has missed more games than he's played. Like, so you want to do that? Look, I love yeah, I, I love Evgeny Malkin as a player too, but I'm not giving him four years and locking him up till he's 40 years old. Claude Giroux already rejected you once. He's not coming here. Uh, so, like, who else? Vincent Trocek and and uh, Ryan Strom, they're not as good as Krejci. I'll still take Krejci over either one of them. So, like, sure, it's great to say they should be getting younger and, you know, looking for, uh, you know, looking for Krejci's replacement rather than just bringing him back. Okay, they do need to do that. But, again, that's not happening this summer. So, for now, for next season, you might as well take Krejci back. For presumably Bergeron's last season. And it's also important that Krejci comes back this season and has to do with Pasternak because Pasternak's coming up to the end of his contract. And maybe maybe it helps Pasternak you know, feel comfortable staying here. Maybe, you know, having Krejci around uh, and Bergeron around this, this season and, and getting to know the new coach. Uh, having more of a positive experience this season potentially could help uh, with negotiations with Pasternak because everybody knows Krejci and Pasternak are uh, very close friends and, uh, you know, teammates on the national team and whatnot. So I think it's important that Krejci comes back. And I, I think the people who say that, you know, he's not the fix, it, they're, they're thinking about a long-term fix, but right now they need a one-year fix um, in order to, you know, use Bergeron's potentially and likely last year um, with the team. But even somebody like a Kadri, like I, that would have been a, a short-term fix too, except now you're locked into a, a guy. Well, it's not, it's not that that's not a short-term fix. It's that's an impossible fix. Like there's, you could say, yeah. let's add this person that, but like Scott just said, it's not possible with the cap space and, and Sweeney addressed it in his press conference and said, uh, we're aware that we're more tight to the cap than most teams are. And he followed that by saying, but that's because we have a full roster already. So meaning he doesn't think the core needs to change. Yeah. And, and I, don't, I don't even think uh, that Kaji would have been a, a short-term fix necessarily anyway. I'm just saying like that all it, all it would have done was it would have, okay, it would have made you more competitive in the here and now. Um, but if the Bruins had no Bergeron and no Krejci coming back and they dished a ton of money to Kadri to stay competitive, I would have pulled my hair out because then at that point, now you're just like, you're not going to win a cup and now you're you're not allowing yourself to get some higher draft picks. I would have rather them, you know, borderline tank at that point rather than just to try to keep putting, you know, small band-aids on some wounds. But regardless, the other thing about treading water that Scott mentioned earlier is that the Bruins can even tread water uh easier now because when when we got the news about McAvoy and Martian again Bergeron and Krejci were like we had no idea we certainly didn't know about Krejci if you if you have to play without Martian and McAvoy but you have Bergeron and Krejci it's much different than doing that without Bergeron and Krejci so 
It's uh, and and the biggest reason that guys like Bergeron and Krejci have stayed good for so long is because their biggest strength is not speed. So their biggest strength isn't getting exposed the younger the league gets. Bergeron and Krejci are cerebral without being the fastest player. So it never was their game. So if it's not their game now, it doesn't matter. It's not going to affect how they how they continue to be successful. So I, I think um, I think that the Bruins have uh, I think they've dodged the bullet here, guys, a little bit because I do think that this keeps them very competitive this year. And and guess what? Looks like you have you know first round draft picks for the next couple of years coming forward to address potentially a higher draft pick that can be a, not a Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci necessarily, but you got to go you got to find those next guys. And it might not be a first overall pick. But they need to get back into the first round, and, and this keeps them very competitive until until next year. So that's that's good news, in my opinion. Everything's good news right now for the Bruins. You know, if yeah, you're looking at I'm, it in a small in a, in a small vacuum, I, you know, big picture, they've made a lot of errors. I'm just I'm looking at the next few months. You know, do I wish they had a bigger you know prospect system? Yep, I do. All those things, hundred percent. But it, it it's pointless to get, to get aggravated about the past because. It's what it is. So looking forward, the next few months in a in a bottle, it's um you know they're competitive going into next year, and that's all you can ask for in the here and now. If you really think about it, Bergeron and Krejci uh, are really saving Sweeney's ass for at least another year. Like they them coming back is such a huge service to him. It gives him that extra year of time, and it also covers up the fact that the the system, the prospect system below them is not ready. So it gives people more time to develop. It gives Sweeney more time to go, look at this guy I drafted now, like he's ready. And it, it, it really saves Sweeney's uh, ass, especially in a time where he, he needs it because the fans were still upset with him about, you know, the handling of Bruce Cassidy. Yeah. And, and I mean, this, if you believe the rumors of, you know, Cassie basically lost the players. Uh, you know, they, you kind of have to maybe give Sweeney credit then. Like if 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 his options were keep Cassidy, but that might mean that Krejci definitely doesn't return. It might mean Bergeron more seriously considers retirement. It might mean DeBrus keeps his trade request on the table. Like. I don't know. I would have a hard time saying that I'm sticking with the coach over players in that situation. Like, yeah, if yeah that we, was really the difference to get all of that done. You're right. I, and I don't, I don't think it was single-handedly the difference. Like, I don't think all of them gave Sweeney an ultimatum where it's like, Hey, I'm bad. I'm, you know, I'm ready to go for the season. If Cassidy's gone and if not, screw you. Like, I don't think it was that black and white at all for any of them, but like, it certainly does seem like, players had kind of had it with Cassidy and you know maybe not all of them but it's a decent chunk of them and like as much as we like Cassidy and I always liked talking to Cassidy and I think he's a great coach you can see how that happens like you can see how his style would rub on players and you know eventually get to a point where it's like all right enough like okay we get it you know like like there were times even towards the end of the season where like Charlie Coyle made a couple comments about like line changes and, or you'd say something about like, well, I thought we were playing pretty good together, but like coach, you know, switched it up or whatever. And it's like, even stuff like that, where it's like Coyle doesn't usually even like hint at stuff like that. And you almost sense like a frustration of like, 
yeah, we thought we had a good thing going. And like after one bad game, our line got changed. Um, you know, so I, I do think like a coaching change might help as far as the players go. And like we can, everyone can, this is happening in all sports. Like everyone can debate whether it's good or bad for players to have this much say or, you know, be able to kind of, if not outright decide when a coach goes or stays like clearly at least have some sort of say in it. But the reality is like, that's happening. Like players do have that power and more and more really in every sport they're they're exercising it, or at the very least they're voicing concerns or, or issues to a general manager. And he has to take that into account. So, um, you know, certainly you can tell clearly that communication was, a huge part of Jim Montgomery getting hired. It does- yeah. Well, to, to just say, this is one of the quotes that came up over and over again, whether it be Sweeney saying it, whether it be Montgomery saying it or Neely, uh, one of the things that they said was it kept saying was we wanted a coach that was open to, it had an open mind to communication. So it's like, it was all this reiteration of needs to be open-minded to communication. And, um, and, Montgomery's mentioned, I, I extended a line of communication. I will extend a line of communication. Like it was, that was kind of like the messaging that I was picking up on uh, from him, from what they were talking about with him. And if you want to transition, unless Brian, you have something else about Krejci and Bergeron to kind of the discussion about what kind of coach Montgomery will be. Not Krejci and Bergeron, but to, to the point you just made though, it's like, it's, it's one, it's easy to sit there and say that when you're, when you're introducing a coach at a press conference, um going into his first year like i i don't think that bruce cassidy didn't have an open line of communication with his players i just don't think they like what he was saying and i think that you know people say that coaches are hired to get fired and it's just like you know jim montgomery his he, he could wear on players in a few years too because maybe he's too much of a bro too much of a buddy like it's coaches wear thin they always do so i don't like when they say that um what they're going to do differently. Every coach starts and does a good job. I just think they all wear thin. And I think that the, the management just can't come out and say that uh, upright. Like, cause they can't, cause they don't want to offend the guy that they just hired. Like Jim Montgomery, I guarantee you will be fired probably <laughs> in three to five years because he won't be the guy that they want going forward for something. And um, yeah, that's how I feel. I also will say this when, when, when Bruce Cassidy was fired, I was very disappointed because I thought that it was, uh, uh, Neely and Sweeney making him the scapegoat. And I do think there was part of that, but I did say at the time, um, if Sweeney was given more or less an ultimatum about what Scott was saying about key players not returning, I did say at the time, and I stand by it, that, that he was in a tough spot and he had to do what he had to do. And I do think that that was the case, as Scott said earlier. I, I, I do think that players, I don't know if they demonized Cassidy, but I certainly think that that was the message that like, you know, we, we, we would like a change if you guys can make a change. Yeah, and actually we got to hear for the first time what um, ownership thought about the coaching change because Charlie Jacobs uh, was asked about it. And uh, this was kind of an answer that I thought Brian was probably rolling his eyes at um, when I heard it because uh, Charlie Jacobs said um, about them deciding to get rid of Cassidy. He said the Bruins went to – actually, I think he was asked why, why get rid of Bruce Cassidy and not uh, – Don Sweeney or Cam Neely. And he said the Bruins 
went to three the Stanley Cup three times in 11 years under Cam Mealy's tenure and have a 600 plus winning percentage under Sweeney's tenure. Um, and the head coaching decision is the responsibility of the GM. So Sweeney, and I was thinking the whole time when I heard that, that Brian's probably wondering, well, Bruce Cassidy was there for a, a lot of the, the same time that Cam Neely was there and Don Sweeney was there, but um, some people are getting credit and some people are getting blamed. Well, I thought that Chris Gasper and Scott McLaughlin were the only two reporters there that um, really put them on their heels with some questions that all the fans wanted answered. I mean, that's the first time that the ownership has been at the press, at the, at the press table in, in years. And um Scott and, and, and Chris Gasper, like I said, I think they were the only two that kind of gave them, you know, what for and made them answer something that they didn't want to answer, but they knew they were probably going to have to. Um, and that was one of them. I mean, yeah, they, they totally just like, you know, uh, ignored the head coach during that tenure of Don Sweeney's, you know, uh, GM uh, reign as well during that 600 winning percentage. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't like the answer. I mean, what they said is true, but they also neglected other truths in there as well. But at the end of the day, if you don't 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 sit there and tell me even the three finals, you've won one, so you lost. Like you didn't win. It's not it's not a consolation prize. And the other the other great part of the press conference was was the question that Scott asked. So I'm gonna let Scott jump in here, and and you can you can go over that because I thought um it, it provided a big soundbite throughout the city. Yeah. So I I asked Jeremy and Charlie Jacobs if because to Brian's point, like we haven't gotten to talk to them in three years. Um, I asked them, you know, if in their mind, an extended rebuild would be acceptable or do they feel that the Bruins need to be competitive every year? And, you know, Jeremy Jacobs gave a short, very noncommittal answer. Basically said like, depends on the situation any given year. Uh, but Charlie Jacobs was more direct and basically said like, no, a rebuild isn't acceptable. Um, that's not it. What exactly what he said, but yeah, I have the quote. What, I, what, what, what he exactly said was uh, that it would be a hard sell to fans in this market. And yes. he mentioned the, he mentioned that there was a lot of theater at the draft and he's obviously referring to the Blackhawks who traded away two talented young players in Alex Dabrinka and Kirby doc for more draft picks uh, as they continue to rebuild and really sink to rock bottom. Um and the vibe was obviously like, we're not going to be that team. Like, I I am not interested in doing that. And there was really no way to spin that other than he would not accept multi, like five years of missing the playoffs. That kind of bottoming out. Like, he just and, – and, and by and, the way, they never have during the Jacobs tenure. Like, I went through this in, in a column I posted. And in the 47 years that the Jacobs have owned the Bruins – there has never been a rebuild like that. Like the closest you would get was 96 to 01 where they missed the playoffs three out of five years. And that run that sort of started with Cam Neely retiring. Then there was the Adam Oates trade for Jason Allison. Uh, they get the number one overall pick, which is Joe Thornton, another top 10 pick and Samsonov. And then it ends with the Ray Bork trade to Colorado. And then the next year, 0102, the Bruins bounced back and actually, finish first in the division, but that's the closest you could get where it was like a five-year stretch of clearly like the entire core changed over. There was a reset, but what also happened during that reset and during every other reset I'm about to mention 
Harry Sinden stepped aside in 2000. Uh, and I don't think that was entirely just his decision. I think there was a strong nudge from management to say, hey, Harry, it's time to turn the reins over to Mike O'Connell. Um, then the next reset comes around 0506, where they come out of the lockout. They stink. Uh, Thornton gets traded. Late in the season, Samsonov gets traded. And then O'Connell gets fired. And now it's a GM change, and there isn't a, a, a long rebuild. They go out and they sign Zidane Trout and Mark Savard the next offseason. The next reset has to come in 2015, when Shirelli's gotten them in cap trouble and they miss the playoffs. What happens then? Shirelli gets fired. Like they don't they don't give GMs a chance to work through a four or five year, whether you want to call it a rebuild or a retool. Like once you generally under the Jacobs ownership, once you miss the playoffs for a year or two, you're out. Like that's that's it. You're not gonna see the other side of whatever's coming next. And I think something that was important that he said in that answer, because he said he he said some teams are buyers and some teams are sellers. Um, and talking about it at the draft and at the, at the deadline, he said, uh, it'd be awfully difficult to be a seller in this market with this fan base. So basically acknowledging the fact that the fan base will, wouldn't put up very well with a rebuild. Um, and maybe also tipping his hand to the fact that the fan base wouldn't be okay with a trade or lose it. Like, trading away Marshawn or Pasternak, like knowing that the fan base, that wouldn't be acceptable to them. And there were a few answers from the Jacobs in that press conference because they were also asked about um, recovery from COVID. And he said Boston didn't have trouble recovering from, from you know, the, the losses that they got from no fans being there from COVID because Boston's such the, the Boston fan base is such a strong fan base that they came right away to the games and everything was pretty easy to recover for them. So they acknowledge the fact that the Boston fan base makes life easier for them to make the money, to make the ticket sales, sell the, sell the merchandise, and they don't want to piss them off too much um, is kind of what I get out of that. But I also felt in the same vein that when they said they don't think the fans would accept a rebuild, I kind of saw that as, as a bit of a cop-out and it, it, it's kind of like making the fans feel bad for wanting a good product. But at the same time, I think they underestimate their fans. I think their fans are very smart. And I think while obviously given the opportunity of having a competitive team to watch playoffs or having a team that sucks, you'd want the latter. But I think Bruins fans recognize when a team is at a, at a point in their development as a franchise, or that's, that's the wrong way to put it. Um, but you know what I'm trying to say. When, when they have to kind of reset, I think the Bruins fans recognize when that moment is. And in that moment, I think they would accept a year, maybe two. They wouldn't accept five, but they would accept. I think Bruins fans would understand at the right time the opportunity to take a step back to go 10 steps forward. I do think the Bruins fans would do that for a year, maybe two. Um, so I, I, I found that to be a little bit of a false uh, statement by him and he might believe he might believe that what I'm saying is I don't know if that's true and I, I I can only speak for myself if the Bruins went into a season with no cap room and no number one and number two center I personally would like them to take a step back before going forward I think some fans would say screw that but fine whatever it would be um, divisive maybe but I think the smart fans would would, would would accept it if they knew it was time and that time might come but the differences between the past, like Scott was talking about, when they would move on from GMs, um, the NHL's model for rebuilding 
is different now than ever has been. And Krejci and Bergeron coming back allows the Bruins to kind of um, uh, get to that um, hybrid style of rebuilding than they would have had to this year if they if those guys weren't there. Like if, if Bergeron and Krejci didn't come back and you had no number one or number two center besides Akala or somebody, I would say, you know, not a full rebuild, but except your losses, probably not playoffs this year. Now that they're coming back, then you gain some cap room next year. You, you go, let's go with some contracts. You know, they can do a rebuild on the fly more so than they could have if Bergeron and Krejci left this year, is my point. Um, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because because Jeremy, uh, not Jeremy, uh, Charlie's comment about that, about the fans wouldn't accept it. Um, I don't know if I buy that for, 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 the, for, the, for the smart fans that, that know what it takes to have a championship team from the ground up. Yeah, I think it's, it's almost two different things. Like, I, I think you're right that, fans could understand and if not fully accept at least like be okay with the one or two year retool like what happened in 2015 basically when they they had to take that step back because they were in so much cap trouble um but to be fair to charlie jacobs what i asked was specifically about a rebuild or an extended retool so in my mind, what I meant was something longer than one or two years. And I think that's how he took it. And so I think that's what he's talking about when he says it would be a hard sell. And not to like one of the last things I ever thought I would be is someone who agrees with the Jacobs, but uh, like not, not to defend him or whatever, but actually I think he's totally right about that. Like I don't think Bruins fans or Boston fans in general would except the kind of like five plus year rebuild that you see Chicago going through that Detroit's been going through Buffalo's stuck on over a decade of this, that Ottawa's going through. Like you just have to look around your own division to see that. Um, everyone likes to point to like the avalanches because they just won the cup as the successful model for a rebuild. But look how many years the avalanche sucked. Like, I don't know that Bruins fans would even accept what they went through. Like, and by the way, the, that situation was like they had guys who stuck through, and there's plenty of players that their team sucks for that long. They're not sticking around. Like, there well, was a lot of guys that stayed around there for a long time, and and we're coming to you know the fact that in a lot of leagues, guys want out of town when they don't think they're on a successful team. Like, I mean, you see it a lot more in the NBA, but players aren't going to stick around and sign extensions in, in areas where they they've sucked for so long. Like you get discouraged at a certain point in time when the rebuild lasts so long that you're discouraged. It's actually heading in the right direction. You lose those players. So it's not necessarily, you know, it's not going to work out the way it did for the avalanche. Yeah. And I mean, some of their guys didn't stick around for the whole time. Like, Early on in the Avs rebuild, Matthew Shane and Ryan O'Reilly were big parts of what they're trying to build. Like those guys didn't stick around, you know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Well, O'Reilly obviously doesn't regret it because he won a cup. Like, who knows what Duchesne thinks? But yeah, I mean, you're these teams get stuck in like these cycles where look at just look at like what the Blackhawks have done. Like you would have thought Alex DeBrinkett was a key part of whatever it is that the Blackhawks are trying to build. And yet they trade him away. That was a bad like, move. That like, was like an all-time bad move. Teams end up in these positions where you almost end up stuck in multiple rebuilds. The Sabres thought Jack Eichel was their solution. 
they still couldn't build a good enough team around him. And now Eichel's already gone. So now it's like the next phase of a rebuild. And, you know, for, for every team that is able to go to the bottom and bounce back five years later and like be a cup contender, which doesn't happen often. There are so many more examples like this of teams that get stuck down in the bottom of the the NHL or out of the playoffs for six, seven, eight, nine years. And it's like, that absolutely would never, ever be acceptable around here. By the end of like year three, people would be marching into the garden with pitchforks, like demanding the Jacob's head. I, I appreciate you um, clarifying that Scott, because, um, and, and, and I, I did say that when I was, when I was speaking at, you know, one or two, um, you clarifying rebuild, meaning like, you know, extended rebuild. I, I couldn't agree more. Like there's no way Bruins fans would accept that. I wouldn't accept that. Um, what I, I guess my mind is trained when I, when I think about Bruins rebuilds, my mind is trained to what I've seen with the Bruins and they've never gone through a long one, like you said. So I was thinking more like, like when you said 15, but my mind goes right to 06. My mind goes right to 05 to 07. Those two years, the Bruins finished like 12th and 13th in the conference, respectively, or something like that. And, you know, they weren't very good. The garden was half full. They were, they were okay until the holidays, then they would fall off. And then what happened was that very next, that, that, that next year, in it's 07, 08, you know, they, they hit on Lucic. They hit, you know, they had, they brought in the Savard and the Charlie before. And, you know, you had that first playoff experience against the Canadians in a few years when the garden was rocking. And from that moment on, the rocket ship took off and eventually brought you to 11. And even before 11, you know, they, they had a cup aspirations in 09 when they lost to Carolina. The Bruins were second in the league that year. That loss still stings me. That Scott Walker goal still stings me to this day, even though it was like 13 years ago. Um, so my mind thinks of like two-year rebuilds when I think of the Bruins, um, not what you see in, around the league. And so I'm glad you clarified clarified that because in that situation, I totally agree, and I would not accept that either. I do think the Bruins are tougher. I do think the Bruins are less likely to go through a long rebuild than somebody like Buffalo, for example, strictly for the for the fact that Boston is a desirable place for free agents to come, even if they're struggling. People want to play in Boston. I do think the Bruins have that advantage over like a Buffalo or like a Winnipeg or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I, to to finish my statement, I agree. I nor Bruins fans would accept a long rebuild. Um, so just wanted to clarify that. I, I, I'm sorry. I was listening to most of that, but my cat's just looking directly in the camera again. <laughs> she, has those, she has those David Quinn glacier, glacier eyes staring at me. She literally just was listening to you, Brian, the whole time. I can't go a single podcast without somebody interrupting me. Melvin's still yeah. at, Melvin's still at Lake Winnipesaukee, so he's not around to, um, say hi but the, the most ca- the most captive audience we have incredible it, just <laughs> hanging on every word he really was um, um but but i actually will say as well scott you mentioned earlier about the, the commonality between bruins rebuilds and it's that they always change gms right before you know i, I i'm not going to go too far back but shirelli was i think the summer of 06 to the summer of 15 right and then so you know that's like eight or nine years. Sweeney is at six. I think their intention, I don't, I don't know if even, I don't know if ownership is sold on him long-term either. I, I think right now they're probably, they're probably sticking by him and cam because I think that ownership look, if they know creatures and birds coming back, then that's stuff we didn't, we weren't privy to earlier. 
So I think they're okay with Sweeney until they may have to reset. Um, and maybe that, maybe at that point they will make the change. And that's not me shitting on Sweeney. That's, that's the nature of the business. Right. So um, that could be, on, that could be on the horizon. Um, one thing that we, that I think maybe one of the only things that we have left to talk about that came out of that press conference and is, um, is important to touch on is um, what they saw in Montgomery that uh, is going to be why he fits. And one of the quotes that I, uh, I had highlighted was Sweeney when asked, you know, what, what makes him like, what boxes did he check um, in terms of what you wanted? And he said, uh, winning history has an open mind to communication, uh, a style of play, his style of play and coaching. um, And the way he, I'm guessing in the interview was breaking down our team and what they need to improve on. So in my mind, that means, um, what the power play, he, he kind of had an idea of what their power play might need to do. Um, he, and they, they mentioned that winning history, um, his background, you know, always having success where he's been before he came here. And I think the communication thing was underscored once again. Uh, and then also answering the same question, what Neely said about it was, uh, the, that Montgomery system, that what stood out to Neely was uh, Jim's philosophy to get defensemen to move a little bit more on the offensive blue line. So those were some of the things maybe give us a glimpse into what we might be expecting from Montgomery this season. Yeah, I think, and Montgomery himself also touched on like creating high danger chances. And during the scrum after the press conference, because there was like the whole press conference that, you know, was televised, like people can find that video then there was like a regular kind of media scrum with Montgomery afterwards where we all just swarmed him and like, you know, throw our record recorders in his face. Where Scott elbowed a bunch of people out of the way. <laughs> right. Yeah. You got to fight, fight for position. You know, that's, that's what it takes to get to the high danger area. Yeah. He uh, punched Connor Ryan in the gut and got <laughs> up in real close. Step on some toes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I asked him like, you know, do you feel like you can coach more high danger chances out of this group? And like, he didn't go into super details about like how, but he said basically said like, yeah, like I think there is more that we can do there. Um, so I think those two things, it, like Neely has been talking, Neely has brought up getting more offense from the blue line for a long time. And that was always part of like that even tied into all the years, like the multiple years that he said, we got to find, you know, an all around left shot defenseman who can play big minutes. Like that was part of that. And Lindholm, was the answer to that but yeah that was a big thing for neely so it's like it's not surprising to hear him bring that up again because i'm sure that was one of the things he was looking for in in candidates was you know the bruins were way down in terms of like points from defensemen like they were they were definitely in the bottom half of the league this past season um so i'm sure like you look at the roster and it's like well, it's not like they're just loaded with like stay-at-home guy. Like Forbert's really the only true stay-at-home guy. Maybe Clifton, but like the other guys can move. The other guys can skate. They have some skill with the puck on their stick. So it's like, well, so why aren't they getting more points from those guys? So that was an area emphasis, and uh, sounds like you know Montgomery gave them a good answer. And like you look at his team in Dallas, like Klingberg put up a, a lot of points there. Uh, he had Heis, Miro Heiskin in as a rookie. Like, so he, he has some of these guys. He had, he had Will Butcher at Denver when the Hobie Baker and, you know, put up a ton of points. So he obviously 
has been able to do that at, at other stops. So now you see, like, will it work with this personnel? I think, I think we all agree, like, there's still another level that Charlie McAvoy can get to offensively. Like, I'm not saying I ever expect him to be Kale McCarr or Roman Yossi, but can he, you know, can he be up to like a 60 to 70 point a year guy? Like, I don't think that's totally unreasonable for McAvoy because I just think he's that good. Yeah, I think um, he, and he's still getting better. Yeah. Like, you know, can, uh, can Hampus Lindholm do more? Hampus Lindholm has had good offensive seasons in the past. Uh, not so much his last couple of years in Anaheim. And part of that is, as we touched on, you know, before was like, he was playing with guys that he had to cover for defensively. So now can you free him up more here and get him more involved offensively? Um, you know, same with a, a Grizzly or a Riley, if Riley's still around, you know, we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a key and the getting to more high danger areas, because that was something where the Bruin that's, has not been great for the Bruins the last couple of years and has really dried up in the playoffs is guys like getting inside and uh, getting those, those higher percentage chances. Yeah. You know what, now that you say that Montgomery had some pretty boring answers, um, but there was one that I was like, Scott's going to love this answer Uh, at the very end when uh, Evan Marinovsky asked him about uh, developing younger players. He said, um, you know, he was going to be using a lot of video and analytics and I'm like, Scott's guy, that is, that is Scott's guy right there. He, yeah. I can just, I just was imagining the post-game press conference where Scott's saying like, you only got X high danger chances from this line today. What, what, are, what are you seeing there? Like, I'm just imagining all, all of Scott's, like, um, all of his advanced, uh, stuff that he looks at all season. Yeah. I, I mean, that. I- I, I think Montgomery is a, the kind of guy and it was funny when like he said this too, how he doesn't have any original ideas himself, but he, you was know, he take... joking about that? Cause yes. I was like, okay. Yeah. I mean, he has a very dry sense of humor, but uh, it was hard to tell. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then like he listed off like all the people he's learned from and how he takes ideas from, from everyone else and incorporates them into what he does. And I think part of that is also analytics. Um, you know, like, yeah, he, he he will be a sponge and like taking as much information as he can get. I think he's done that everywhere he's been. Um, now that said, like Bruce Cassidy was also like that. Bruce Cassidy looked everywhere for inspiration and incorporated as you know all kinds of info from every source he could get it from. Um, you know, it's I, I think Montgomery is unfortunately for us he's not going to be quite as interesting or or as expansive of an interview, but, uh, but that, that's not what the Bruins are looking for. That's not what they're concerned about. So but you can, you can ask them about Corsi and, uh, expected goals for, and, yeah. <laughs> and that's what and that's I, I, I just circle back to like asking him about like Maine, his time at university of Maine. Cause he, he brought up like Sean Walsh and Grant Stanbrook as, as major influences from when he was a player there. Like, feel like you know if you need to kind of get get inside of montgomery a little like you can just bring that stuff out because he'll talk about he'll talk about main guys all day just to just to jump back real quick to the uh philosophical differences um obviously i was a big cassidy fan but you guys will know um over the last you know year and a half with this podcast one of my one of my gripes with with, with cassidy or, or the bruins under his watch was was their lack of, of shots getting through from the point. I've always talked about that. 
Um, I feel like the Bruins led the league constantly and blocked shots from the blue line. They, they just weren't gaining separation. So I'm encouraged to hear that. I think that's a fair criticism of, of Cassidy's teams that the Bruins can improve upon. The only thing I'll say is that when you when you open up the the defense to go more lateral across the blue line, you're, it's just, you're, your forwards have to be very responsible and be that layer um, because what happens is you become vulnerable to uh, odd man rushes if those shots aren't getting through in your defense or getting out of position to get to take shots. So the Bruins forwards have to be very cognizant of, of, of when when they're where their DR on the ice at all times in the offensive zone specifically. And um, contrastly, I was actually watching Bruce Cassidy's press conference with Vegas and he was talking about the power play and they were asking him what his power play philosophy was in Boston because it was very successful and Vegas has had a struggling power play. And he talked about how in Boston, he really liked the offense to go through the four forwards on the power play. He wanted them to touch the puck because he felt that they're the most creative players. Um, and it also helped their five on five game when the power play ended that they could get their touches. And he more so liked the defenseman as more of a facilitator, which is which is fine. I mean, the Bruins were successful. But I do think that under uh, Jim Montgomery, along with the five-on-five five defense being um, involved in the play, I do think you'll see more, more shots coming from the point in the power play as well, which I think is important. We talk about it all the time, like getting shots through. It's, it's great to set up the passes and, and those high to lows, but you have to get the penalty killers moving and, and thinking right away. And I think that you know, if you, if you want to face off and you get it to McAvoy in the middle, he fires a quick shot in the first 10 seconds. I think it opens up that stuff too. So um, that's a, that's a philosophical change that I, I welcome with Jim Montgomery. I just, it, it, the, the key though is going to be um, defensive awareness from the forwards in the offensive zone, if that makes any sense uh, at times. So, um, but I do look forward to seeing that, to, to seeing that play out as well. All right. And so gone a little bit over an hour uh the things we wanted to touch on quickly here at the end were scott's rookie development camp update um you know talk a little bit about what you've seen there it once again kind of a quiet new subject just because um fabian lysel hasn't been there he's with um the national team and uh you're saying mason Lorai wasn't also he was there but wasn't skating yeah, so Mason Lara is recovering from uh, a fairly minor knee surgery that he had as a result of an injury he suffered late in Ohio State's season. Um, so he's he's in Boston. He's at Warrior. Uh, he's doing, like, some of the workout stuff, but he's not skating. Um, yeah, Lysel, so he's not with the national team yet. And, you know, World Juniors isn't until, what is it, like August 5th or something? But they didn't think it made sense for him to – fly over to the U S for this week, then fly back to Sweden for like two weeks and then fly back to Canada for world junior. So they decided it was best, you know, what would be best for him was just to continue training in Sweden where he is and then join the national team and come over for, for world juniors. Um, so as far as, you know, uh, what stood out from camp so far, it, you know, there haven't been like any scrimmages or anything like that. So it's been just really it's like some drills and skill work, but uh, through interviews, like we've been able to learn some stuff. Um, so Johnny Beecher said, you know, he's really working on a shot this offseason. He wants to, he was asked what he wants to work on this offseason. And he later just said, score more goals. Um, but he acknowledged like he has struggled with that in college. He struggled to finish chances uh, so he's working on a shot. He said he's, you know, been studying, talking to like 
guys who are good shooters and trying to kind of figure out like what they see, you know, what, what, when to shoot, you know, what to aim at, that kind of stuff. Um, Georgie Merkulov, we got to talk to for the first time uh, today, Tuesday, and he's he's a pretty funny kid. He uh, acknowledged that he has work to do defensively, um, which everyone else has said as well. He, he has a ton of offensive skill. There's no question about that. Um, but he said, like, uh, his coaches have been telling him to work on his defense since he was 13. And he's like, I'm, I'm trying, like, I'm still doing it. And then he was asked, like, if there are any players, like his favorite player or anyone, like he, you know, models game after and he, and he named Pavel Datsu. So Merkulov, for those who don't know, is from Russia. He came over to the U S uh, in 2019 to play juniors and then go to Ohio state for a year. Uh, so he names Datsu and I'm like, well, he's a pretty good defensive model. And he's like, yeah, he is. So Georgie Merkulov, uh, talented kid, still, I'd, I'd say, a very good signing for Sweeney out of Ohio State after his freshman year. He said no one else, no other teams had even um, offered him anything. Like he was, he was, he thought he would probably go back for another year and then have offers. So he was surprised, like, that the Bruins offered him after his freshman, freshman year. So, which kind of confirms what I'd already suspected, which is like, they basically got in a year early on that and locked him up, which, which is pretty good. Cause like he's an older freshman, he's already 21 years old. So, um, you know, get, get him into the HL work on his defense down there, probably for at least a full year and then see where he is next year. Um, who else, what else has happened? Um, some of the new, we've gotten our first look at some of the new draft picks. Uh, you know, obviously, um, Matthew Poitra, their second round pick, Cole Spicer, uh, Danzog Mellis, like all of the all six of their draft picks from this year are at uh, development camp. And again, it's a very small sample so far through just two days as of when we're recording this, but they look good. And Poitra says, I am going to mess up that name so much. It's Poitra. French, Scott. Get I used know. to it. So I can say it like when I slow down, think about it, but like saying it fast, it doesn't quite flow. Uh, no, you're right. It's, it's, I'm, it's I'm like not, a I'm tongue not, twister. A little I'm not bit. French enough, um, no. but you can tell like, he has some skill. Uh, he looks, he, he has a good shot. Lagunelis also has a really good shot. Um, Jackson Edward, like his scouting report is basically like he tries to hit everything and you can tell like he's, he's not trying to kill anyone in development camp. Like he's definitely hitting guys. I think he's probably been the most physical player out there. Um, so again, early look at some of those guys. Um, yeah, those are probably my biggest takeaways so far. Uh, Riley Duran, I think, has looked pretty good. Um, he's got some speed. Same with Oscar Jelvik, who is a player I'm really interested in. He was a well, like fifth round pick last year, I think. Yeah, fifth round, 2021, and he was this like seventh leading scorer in Sweden's junior league and is now heading to BC this fall as a freshman. Um, so, you know, a smaller undersized guy, but definitely some skill there. And he's stood out in, in a few drills. He really drives to the net hard. So I'm definitely, I'm really interested to see like how he does at BC. Cause that'll be, it'll be a step up for him. And I think, uh, you know, I could see him being like a really good three, four year 
well, probably three-year player because then the Bruins have to sign him. But you know, he'll get a few years there, and I feel like he he could he could become something. Yeah, and um, this isn't really completely related, but um, uh, when Sweeney was asked about um, his UFAs, like qualifying offers, he said they extended offers to Stanika, Ashan, and Matt Philippe, but um, no update on that other than other than that. But they did offer uh, Stanika and Ashan. Yeah, also the first buyout window ends Tuesday at 5 p.m., and... Sweeney had said previously that he didn't plan on buying anyone out. And now it looks like they're definitely not. Um, this would have been the time to buy out Nick Felino if they were going to do that, but doesn't look like they are. So at this point, you know, assuming they don't do that in the 50 minutes between, you know, now while we're recording and, and when that window ends, um, the options are either hang on to them and, and give them another year playing here uh try to trade him if anyone's interested or you bury him in providence like you like they did with chris wagner last year which that's a pretty rough option like you don't you don't really like to do that and to, the, to do that with someone like felino who's a former captain like i almost feel like it'd be i don't think like it'd be more humane to just buy him out and like cut the, the tie completely um so i don't know what their plan is going to be there but it's it really does not seem like a great idea for them to just have him back at three point eight million dollars and like put him on the fourth line again. Like it just that feels like a place where they should be looking to upgrade and go younger. And I don't know. It they they passed on the buyout. Again, the there can be a reason for that. Like it carries over a nine hundred thousand dollar cap hit to next year, so that's why you know teams tend to try to avoid buyouts as much as possible. But yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see uh, what happens with Felino now. Uh, before we go, just any thoughts on, on free agency? I mean, they have no money. We've talked about it. Um, they still have, and with the money they do have that they still have to free up to obviously sign Krejci and Bergeron, presumably, but we think it's going to be quiet. Um, so is there anything worth going over with free agency or we'll leave it to you guys? Well, there's a few guys on the team that are free agents um, that, you know, will have to make their decision now whether or not to re-sign. So um, Curtis Lazar is a free agent. Um, Bleed is a free agent. Well, Bleed's gone. I think he made made that very clear himself after this. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I guess Curtis Lazar uh, is somebody that you have to decide whether or not to bring back. So, I mean, Lazar is going to go to the market and I think there was mutual interest. Like Lazar said that he said, you know, in his exit meeting with Sweeney that they both said there was mutual interest, but they'd have to see how things went. I mean, right now they just don't, they just don't have the money. Like Curtis Lazar was the best one on that fourth line last year. There's no question. He was better than no second Felino. You'd love to, you know, find a way to keep him and, move one or two of those other guys, but uh, he's probably going to get a little bit, he's probably going to get a pay raise, you know, probably get something like, uh, you know, it's us, someone guessed like a two or three year deal at, you know, two, two and a half million a year. And like, that seems like it's probably about right. And that's probably just a little more than the Bruins can afford to spend on their fourth line right now. So uh, unfortunately he, they'll probably be moving on, but, 
you know, good for Lazar. He'll get the biggest paycheck of his career to this point. And the Bruins, look, the Bruins have to work younger guys in somewhere. And it's not going to be the fourth line if you bring back the entire same fourth line as last year. Yeah, and I like Lazar, but I think you're right. Uh, I think it, if it was up to the Bruins, if they had the space, they would they would definitely um, put the effort into trying to get him back and uh, be competitive in their offer, but they just kind of don't have that money like you mentioned. And it was briefly touched upon by Sweeney, the reason why they ha- almost – I don't know if it was a cop-out at all, but um, why they haven't seen some, some of the younger players get time and develop – uh, in the NHL. And he said, cause that's not the type of team that we have. And he's right. Also did kind of sound like an excuse a little bit. Um, but there hasn't been much room as we've talked about before for people to come up. So yeah, you're right. Maybe that brings up, maybe that frees up some room. Uh, Frederick, I still, who knows what to do with Frederick, maybe put him there, try, you know, try elevating someone to the third line at I still have a lot of questions about where Frederick fits in, but um, that's more of a in in the season kind of a situation unless you're trying to do something when free agency starts. Yeah, I mean, like Oscar Steen, Mark McLaughlin, like those are guys who should be battling for a fourth line spot. So, um, you know, I yeah, I think ideally, to me, like ideally, Frederick gets bumped down to Felino's spot, and then again, I don't know what you do with Felino, but. Um, yeah, we'll see, but they if they're, they've made this whole big thing about like, they need to start working on some younger guys, it would be, it would seem hypocritical if they went into this season, went to like the preseason with no open rosters once again, like we, we went through this last year where there wasn't even a spot for a young guy to earn a job. Um, you know, with Jackson, obviously being the most notable example of that but it's like i would get your top nine set but i would love to see a situation where guys like i mentioned mclaughlin steam but a johnny beecher stanika again um like where those guys at least have a chance to compete for a job and not have 12 nhl forwards under contract and it's like oh well congratulations on your good camp but you gotta go down to providence yeah, I couldn't agree more with Scott there. I mean, I, I, the, the whole notion that you, you can't you can't bring in young legs because you're a contender, I just don't buy that necessarily. Like you can you can you can try somebody out on the wing on a fourth line and still be a contender. The kid's not gonna he's not gonna ruin your season if he has a couple struggles. You know what I mean? So, um, like 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 Scott said, I think uh, you know figure out your top nine and like. Yeah, Steen, Sonika, Beecher. Um, I, I I honestly, I'm kind of, I'm pretty sour on Frederick. Um, when he first came up, he during the bu- um, not the bubble, but the uh, the shortened season. Um, you know, he ge- he gave you some some fight literally. So I liked him. He stopped doing that and he stopped really producing. Now, I'm not trying to oversight his. Uh, the strong month and a half he had with Smith and Coyle back in like March, but you know, so he has some potential for, but I, I don't see Frederick as somebody with significant more upside over like a steam or a beach or like, not, so he has to earn it just like they do. And I think that there's going to be an opportunity for all of them to do so. And there, there should be if ever, if the Bruins stick to the word, like, like you just said. So 
um, I guess that's my thoughts on that. Was there anything else you guys have before we, we, uh, we, we get out of here? No, I think that pretty much covers it. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll be at some point in the next few days commenting on when and if there are uh, free agent moves for the Bruins. So I guess just stay tuned for that. Yeah. Is there, is there anything in particular, Scott, that we would have to, uh, for listeners to know that we would, if something goes down, we'll, we'll, we'll be recording right after it or we'll just kind of play it by ear. Uh, I mean, I guess if like there's any really unexpected trade or, you know, something, maybe we hear like things went super south with Pasternak. Like, I don't think that's going to happen though, but yeah, we'll probably record one later this week because Wednesday and Thursday are really, you know, free agency in the NHL isn't, it doesn't drag out the way that some other sports do. Like most of the moves get done in the first day or two. So we'll probably have something later in the week because I would say by Thursday, we're going to have like a better idea of what the Bruins are are doing and whether they have done anything to move guys out or bring anyone in other than, than Krejci. So um, yeah, probably talk again in a couple of days. And, and, you know, don't look now, but like I said, it's a, it's the dog days of summer, but you, you know, you forecast four or five weeks from now, you're, you're talking rookie camps and, and eventually, you know, preseason will pick up, you know, it's, it's not, it's not too far away. So, um, yeah, we'll, no, I, all the, like- all the schedules are coming out. My, my boss at Yale called me this morning, tried to find out my availability for the, the hockey season. And I'm like, it's July, <laughs> but no, we're, we're starting to plan. We're starting to get ready. Scott's always in mid-season form, so you don't have to worry about him. <laughs> but well, it is I, I haven't point. taken my vacation yet. Once, once I take my vacation, then I'm gonna have to take oh, some time to get aren't back. Aren't you going? To aren't you going to uh, Mag- McLaughlinland up yes. there? You go, <laughs> Scott, <Yep. laughs> Scotland. <laughs> uh, in August, right? Yes. Can we do? Can we do a record a pod with Scott um, live from some sort of pub? Only if he's been drinking. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that'll wrap it up for this week then. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch base again uh, later this week. <laughs>